Please be seated. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. In the early years of my wife Amber and I's relationship, going home for us meant going back to Tennessee. Uh, We both grew up in the same neighborhood, the same small town called Shelbyville, which is the walking horse capital of the world, in case you were wondering. And no, we didn't own any horses. That was only for the people who had a lot of money, Uh, and that wasn't us. But both sets of our parents lived there in the homes we grew up in. They they still do, actually. And so when we lived in West Tennessee, we made the four-hour drive home every so often. We would travel east on I-40 through Jackson to Nashville, then we'd go south out of Nashville through Murfreesboro down to Shelbyville. And we would pull into town and drive past the town Walmart, which you know is really the town square and then a small town. Uh, We would go past the old grocery store that we both worked at in high school, past the, the real town square, across the Duck River, and then we'd turn into our neighborhood. The neighborhood, we grew up riding our bikes in and playing hide-and-go-seek, you know, till the streetlights came on. And we, we'd stay with our parents in our childhood bedrooms, and we would experience that great feeling of going home. But now, after living away from home for 14 years, being married for nine years, nine years, having three kids and owning a house of our home, of our own, home for us is in Olathe, Kansas, right here. We still love our families. We we appreciate the community we grew up in. And on a rare occasion, we get a little nostalgic for Tennessee. But but now anytime we travel or we go out, we love coming back here to 151st Terrace in Olathe. We long to get back to the home that we've made for ourselves because there's nothing like that feeling of going home. Going home. Being homeward bound is really one of the big themes of the Bible. Uh, See, according to Scripture, home for the Christian is to be in God's presence with Jesus. Uh, We often say that when a believer dies. We say, oh, they, they went home to be with the Lord. We know our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus went there before us to prepare for us a place. And one day we will be with him forever in our forever home. So going home is at the heart of the Bible. And the chapter we're going to look at today is a key part of this biblical theme. It's Leviticus chapter 16, which lays out what was the most important day of the year for the Israelite people. It was called the Day of Atonement. The reason the Day of Atonement was so significant and special to God's people is because it was the one and only time when anyone could enter into the Holy of Holies. If you remember our sermon on the tabernacle from the book of Exodus, the Holy of Holies was that inner room inside the tabernacle, which was a big fancy tent. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And what made that place so significant was that it was the place where God's glory dwelled on earth as in heaven. It was a representation of God's heavenly throne room right there in the middle of the people's camp. But because God's presence was manifested in all its fullness in that room, the Holy of Holies was blocked by a curtain. To go into that room uninvited was to face instant death. For man's sin cannot stand before God's holiness without facing his justice. But on that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, 
The high priest was actually invited in. He was not only allowed but, but commanded to go behind the curtain on behalf of the people. And everything he did on that day served to atone for their sins and bring them back home to God. Now, going home is not something we might typically think of when we read through Leviticus or the Day of Atonement. So before we walk through the specifics of that day, I want to show you some really cool background information first. Let's go back to the very first book of the Bible, which is what? That's right. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, where God creates everything out of nothing. He speaks and he creates the earth. He creates creatures to inhabit the earth. And on the earth, he designs a special place for his people called the Garden of Eden. Eden was God's home on earth, the place where he chose to manifest his presence and all his glory with his people. So Adam and Eve lived there with God, with each other, in perfect harmony. Nothing was wrong at all. God's people were at home. Remember, to be home biblically is to be with God. And the goal was for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and expand the garden and therefore expand God's home. But what happened? Sin happened. Sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve rebelled against God's design. They broke God's law and they were cursed along with the serpent and the earth. And here's the final consequence of their choice to sin. This is Genesis 3 verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, if you were tracking with me just now, on which side was the entrance to the Garden of Eden? East, right? Which side then would you enter to go back into God's presence? East, right? Yeah, it's not a trick question here. So which direction were Adam and Eve sent out from the Garden? East. That's right. Hang on to that. Next chapter, we begin to see the consequences of sin unfold. Adam and Eve's first son kills their second son. First murder in the Bible. And God judges Cain. He sends him away. And listen to what he says in Genesis 4.16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Which direction did Cain go as he went away from the Lord? Don't look at my hands because that for you would be west, right? But he went east. That we, that's where we got the expression. We got the book, East of Eden. So here's the significance of all this for our chapter today. Let, let's see if you know this, a little Bible trivia. On which side was the entrance to the courtyard of the tabernacle? Oh, it's a good guess. It is east. <laughs> so then on which side was the entrance to the tabernacle itself? So then on which side was the entrance to the Holy of Holies? No, it was actually north. No, I'm kidding. It was east. <laughs> It's east, it's east, and you're that's good, you're tracking with me. So what we see then is to enter God's presence required entering from the east and moving westward. When you entered the courtyard, 
First, you would encounter the altar where sacrifices were made, then the wash basin where cleansing was done, then the holy place where the bread and the lamp were, then finally you would enter the holy of holies where God himself dwelled. And this full westward journey only happened one day a year by one man alone, the high priest, on one day, the day of atonement. It was intended to be a picture of man going back home to be with God, back to Eden. Do you see why this was so important to the people of God? It it was the closest and most powerful experience of God's presence that they had at this time. And it has so much to say to us today about how we can go home and be with Jesus forever. So let's look now, Leviticus 16. Let's walk through. Let's let's understand what happened on the Day of Atonement. And then at the end, we're going to bring it all home, okay? So Leviticus chapter 16. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. We see first thing that the occasion for God giving these instructions for the day of atonement was the death of Aaron's two sons. We covered that last week. Aaron's sons, they went before God. Seemingly, they tried going into the Holy of Holies. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And God's fire came out and consumed them on the spot. Notice that chapter 16 comes on the same day of Aaron's son's death. That event prompted God to immediately address Moses and Aaron on the proper way, the only way to come into his presence. He says, basically, he says, hey, guys, don't come in here for your safety. Do not come into my presence because this is where my glory and holiness dwells. Then he says, but, but there is one time you can come in, but only in this way. Here's the way. Look at verses 3 to 10. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. The Day of Atonement included several different parts and rituals, and and we can kind of group those together into three different parts. The first part is the rites of entrance. These are the things the high priest had to do to prepare to go into the Holy of Holies. The idea is you can't just walk in and be like, hey, anybody home? 
Can I come in? Knock, knock. No, you couldn't do that. Aaron had to take extreme care on how he went into God's presence. First, he had to bathe his body and then put on his priestly clothing. He, he had to select various animals for the different sacrifices. He had to cast lots between two goats. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, those were the entrance rites which prepared him to go in. Then we get to the second part, what we call the rites of cleansing. The goal here was cleansing the people and the tabernacle of sin. Look at verses 11 to 19. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel." Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. I know it's a lot, but here we see Aaron performing the cleansing rites. He's using the blood of the animals to do so. The blood represented the life of the animal. So the animal was dying in place of people and taking their sin so that the people and the tabernacle could be cleansed. First, we see that Aaron offers a sacrifice for himself and his family. His sin had to be atoned for first. Next, he makes a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this was to provide atonement for their sins before God. And he was to take the blood for those sacrifices and bring them before God in the Holy of Holies. But first, that required him to use the incense. Uh, you'll remember that just outside of the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense. So what he would do was take a censer full of coals and he would place some incense on it and carry that into the Holy of Holies so that it would make smoke. And the smoke was designed to shield Aaron from the fullness of God's presence above the ark. It would cover the ark and the mercy seat and therefore protect Aaron from God's glory. Then Aaron was commanded to sprinkle some of the blood on the front of the mercy seat, which the text tells us was on the east side. And then he would continue to move east He'd sprinkle blood on the holy place, then outside on the altar. So he didn't just cleanse the people, but he's also cleansing the tabernacle. And here's the key. This, this is the important part. He's doing all this through sacrifice. Aaron is moving from west 
to east, from the Holy of Holies to the entrance. All of this symbolizing God moving toward his people, restoring them to a right relationship through the blood of a sacrifice. Then we come to the last part. It's the rite of elimination. Remember, there were two goats. One was given to God in sacrifice, and here's what happened to the other. Look at verses 20 to 22. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, this is where we get the term today we use called scapegoat. That's how most interpreters translate that word we saw earlier, Azazel, in scapegoat. This goat received the sins of the people. And then it was sent out into the wilderness away from the people outside of the camp. So the idea is that the people were not only cleansed from their sin, but their sin and their guilt was removed and taken away to be gone forever. That's the right of elimination. The last thing we see in this chapter is that Aaron is to make the burnt offerings on the altar, bathe himself again, and here's the summary we have from God, very end, verses 29 through 34. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make, the, shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now here's the big question for us. <laughs> what does an old ritual given to the nation of Israel, have to do with us today. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have priests. We make no animal sacrifices today, thankfully. So what does this have to do with me? That's what I want to show you in just a few minutes in the time we have left today. Leviticus 16, you see, was at the very heart, the core of life for God's people in the Old Covenant. Literally, Leviticus 16 is in the middle of the book. And that's not by accident. The author places the Day of Atonement in the middle because this is like building up to a mountaintop. This is the big moment. The one time the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and meet with God. And everything that comes after flows out of this moment. The Day of Atonement was the very heart, the core of life for God's people then. And what the Day of Atonement pointed to is now the very heart, the core of life for God's people today. And that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
The cross is the middle point, the center of all of human history, just like the Day of Atonement. All of history builds up to it, and everything that comes after flows out of it. And just like the Day of Atonement, the cross is all about God's people coming home to his presence through the blood of a sacrifice. That means we cannot fully appreciate the death of Jesus on the cross until we understand the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16 is the backdrop for that whole scene at the cross. That's how the author of Hebrews explained it. He makes the connection for us. Listen to this. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. He says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, Into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And have you noticed how often we've made the jump to the book of Hebrews throughout our series on Exodus and Leviticus? That's because the author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish people, trying to show them how Exodus and Leviticus and the whole Old Testament is all about Jesus. It all points to him. So we see in Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest who went into God's presence into heaven, the true tabernacle, which the earthly tabernacle was but a copy. And he made a sacrifice on our behalf. Except with Jesus, the sacrifice was himself. It was his blood, his life given for us all so that we could go home to be with God again. Let me close by drilling down into that further. And let me give you real quick three things we see that Jesus did for us. All of it anticipated in this day of atonement. Here's the first. Number one, in Christ, we are returned. You know, when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, you and I, we were banished too. And you might think, hang on a second. I wasn't even born then. I didn't eat from that tree. I didn't mess up like those guys did. Why is this about me? You see, Adam and Eve, they were our representatives. They were the first people. They represented the human race. And when they fell, we all fell. And now, because of then, every person is born into sin and thus born east of Eden. That means we're all born separated from God, outside of his presence, outside of Eden. See, that's the ultimate damage done by our sin. Sin is not just making a mistake or doing some bad things. To sin is to push God away, to invite his judgment, and to break the relationship that we have with him. See, because God is holy, he cannot be in a relationship with sin. And you and me, we aren't just born sinners, but we all freely choose to continue to sin. And therefore, what we do is we just push God away. So what we need, what what everyone needs is to get back to God. That's what we were made for, to know God, to be with him. So how do we get back? Well, something has to happen for us to return to that fellowship. Something has to deal with our sin problem. And that something was the cross. 
It was Jesus on the cross. See, when Jesus died, he didn't just go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and and deal with our sin like the old priest did. No, but on his way out, he ripped the curtain down. Matthew 27, we read of one of the coolest details of the crucifixion story we might often overlook. It tells us, Matthew tells us, the moment Jesus died, the veil that was in the temple, the same veil from the tabernacle, the one that was designed to keep people out, separated from God, the moment Jesus died, it was torn in two from top to bottom. That means the way is now open for anyone to come to God through Jesus. He made a way through his blood. He now invites us in to a place where no one could go before. In Christ alone, we are returned. Here's the second thing Jesus did for us. Number two, in Christ alone, we are redeemed. Did you notice God's final instructions at the end of Leviticus 16? He said, hey, guys, you need to do this every year. Every year, again and again and again, the Day of Atonement had to take place. Why? Because as soon as the priest was finished with this ceremony, guess what? He and the people sinned again. And their sin began to defile everything all over again. So while the Day of Atonement was necessary, it was not sufficient. While the blood of animals could atone for the people temporarily, it wasn't enough. The whole system of repeated sacrifices pointed to the fact that something greater was needed. That's why Jesus came. He was the greater. Again, Hebrews 9.12 says, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus entered once for all. He secured an eternal redemption. But why? Why? What was so special about Jesus and his blood? Well, first off, Jesus was a perfect man. He, like Adam, represented us as humanity. He was the model, perfect human being, except unlike Adam, he never sinned. He did what Adam could never do, what none of us could ever do. And the other thing that made the blood of Jesus greater was that he was and is God. He wasn't just a man, but he was God and man in one person. So he not only represented man as a man, he represented God as God. That means Jesus brought the whole thing together. He was the perfect priest. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he was the perfect glory of God that was in the Holy of Holies. So all of that was there hanging on the cross. See, because of that, Jesus was able to perfectly redeem us. All of our sins, past, present, future, have been paid for by his blood. And for those who trust in him, we are forgiven. Here's the third and last thing Jesus did for us. Number three, in Christ alone, we are restored. Through Jesus, we are restored to our sinless state before God. That was the whole thing with the goats. A little weird, I know. But in the text, there's two goats. They're presented as one pair because they needed both. We need both goats. This tells us our sin doesn't just need to be paid for. It needs to be removed, sent away. And that's exactly what Jesus did. First Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, 
you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Just like the scapegoat, Jesus bore our sins in his body. Just as the high priest placed his hands and put all the sins on the goat, God placed his hands and put all our sins on Jesus. Our sins were taken from us, put on him, and he was sent away. And like a straying sheep, we could come back home. John 1.29, John the Baptist, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, like that scapegoat, Jesus didn't just bear our sin, but he took it away. He died for our sins in the tabernacle, then he carried them out east into the wilderness. And listen to this from Psalm 103. This verse makes a lot more sense with all that else in mind. It says, as far as the what? East is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. The east from the west. That's a long way. (laughs) That's the whole way. And that's how far gone our sins are. East of Eden. East of everything. And they will never come back. You see that goat in Leviticus 16? It didn't come back. It's a little sad. Think about that poor goat. (laughs) But that was actually a reason for the people to celebrate. The goat was gone, and therefore the sins of the people were gone. Guys, the same thing is true for you and me. If you will trust in Jesus, guys, the goat is gone. Your sins are no more. That means God is not keeping a list and holding over your head. Oh, look what you did this week. Yeah, you better get right. You better get back to church, get that straight out. No, the list has been reconciled, and he burned the note. It's over. So let's put this all together this morning. Here we have a chapter in the middle of Leviticus that to our modern ears seems very strange. But when we view it in the story of the Bible, it's a chapter that so clearly points to the death of Jesus and a chapter that was written to show you God's heart for you. God was willing to come from the west and move to the east to come and save you. Despite what you've done, he was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice and deal with your sin because he knew you couldn't. And he was willing to do all of that because he loves you and he wants to know you and have a relationship with you. So here's the most important question. How will you respond? Will you trust in Jesus and come home? There's nothing left to do. Sin's already been paid for. The goat's already out in the wilderness. All you have to do is believe and trust, and you will be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.